Open your Bible to the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. The book of Revelation, chapter number 3. And no, for those of you who were in uh, Smithfield this week and heard me preach, it's not the same sermon. So do not worry. You didn't do nothing about it anyway then, so it don't matter. So we'll just see what will happen. We're looking toward revival. A series of messages that is calling us to revival. We need a revival. We're asking God for revival. We're seeking revival. And we believe and we are believing God that by the time we get to our Bible conference, our folks are going to be hot for Jesus. And um, I want to talk to you today on this subject. And it is a burden of my heart. I believe it is the truth. I believe it is the truth. I think it's the truth for Hillcrest. I think it is the truth for the church in general. I think it's the truth for America because if the church don't go right, the nation don't go right. And the church hadn't been right for a long time. And so today, Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not. Now, this, 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 these two lines is going to form most of my sermon today. Notice what it says. You are increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel thee, this is what Jesus said, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou may be clothed and with the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesight that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten. I better say that again. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come to him and we'll sup with him and he with me. I'm preaching today on a last chance for revival. A last chance for revival. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, I pray you will give us everything we need today to be fruitful because we cannot bear fruit alone unless the Holy Ghost flows through us freely. So we ask today that you might again speak and touch like you always do. But God, today, just help us to be different in the way we respond. Help us to respond in a different way. Help us to see things in our own life like we've never seen them before. In my life and in everyone's life in here. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we get to the church of Laodicea, 
we have already covered six other churches. There's only one of those churches that Jesus was totally pleased with, and that was the church at Philadelphia. When we come to the end of the age to which we are, and I'm talking about the end of the end of the age, the last part of a church age, I believe that's the Laodicean church. In other words, what will define the church as we know it, the church as we see it around the world, will be what we read in the book of Revelation, chapter number 3. God don't want it that way. He wants it to be like the church before it, the church at Philadelphia. It was a poor church. Didn't have anything, but it was rich with God. That's the kind of church he wanted. He didn't want this crowd down here in verses 17 and forward. So God is dealing with them today in a way that I pray God will deal with us. This is our last chance for revival. It might be Hillcrest's last chance for revival. What God, God's breathed on us and breathed on us and breathed on us. He may quit. He may stop convicting in his place. He may quit using us. Unless we hear what he has to say. And it may certainly be the last chance for any hope of any spark of revival in our nation. So hear me today, church, as I do my best to preach. This was the church, if you'll read it, in the earlier verses that I did not read. It was the church that described God as the amen and faithful. Amen means that he is not only the truth, but he is the final truth on any matter. You don't seek it somewhere else. You don't find another book. You don't go online to another site. You just understand if God said it, it is true and nothing trumps it. Not even Trump, okay? Now listen, that church... As he said, I see you, I know you, I am Alpha and Omega, I'm beginning and end, I'm the faithful and true. There is nothing in between your life I haven't seen. There's nothing going on in your life now I haven't seen. There's nothing you pulled over on me. I just want you to know I know everything going on in your life. So the first thing I want to ask you is why did this church make God sick? And by the way, when the Bible said he'll spew you out of the mouth, this is what it means. It means to puke. Kids, don't go tell somebody that. This is what it means. Regurgitate. means to throw up. God said, this church makes me so sick, I want to throw up. That's a bad church. It's a bad church. But this church made him sick. Did you know what scares me? I'm seeing those churches everywhere. I see a little of it in our church. And so let's listen today. Number one, I want you to notice that God tells us about the contradiction in conditions. When God gives a diagnosis about something, there is no need to get a second opinion. 
There, there is a here in this statement though we have a contradiction in conditions. God says one thing about them. They say something else about them. There is a contradiction in conditions. He's the true witness the Bible said. Jesus himself says he knows them to be a sickening church. He has already declared that. You make me sick. I want to throw up. I don't like what I'm seeing. You're lazy. You're apathetic. You're passionless. You're status quo. You're immovable. You're arrogant. You're prideful. You don't win souls. You don't pray. You don't weep. You make me sick. I didn't down Calvary for this kind of church. Why? Why? Not because of those things I just stated totally, but here's the reason why. It's because of what they said about what Jesus said. Look what they said. Everything today is going to flow from that. What they said. Jesus knew that what they said was not who they were. Hear me today. What you say, what you tell me, what you tell this church, what you tell each other may not be who you really are. And Jesus says right here, he he says that you make me sick because what I say, you say is not true. I say you make me sick. You say we have need of nothing. Do y'all getting this? They said we have need of nothing. So what they did, they contradicted their conditions. God had already said what kind of condition they was in. God had already told them what, how he felt about what was going on in that church. But when they spoke, they contradicted what God said. Folks, don't ever contradict God. God's always right. I, I'm not always right. You're not always right. We think we're always right, but we're not always right. But Jesus is always right. So they said, I don't know what you're upset about, Jesus. You know, don't get all upset. We have need of nothing. We are living church like we need nothing. And so a living church that don't need anything is a corpse. They claim to live, but they don't. They're dead. They said, what are you talking about? <laughs> we, we don't, we, we're not that kind of church. We don't need anything. Why would we make you sick? That's what God is dealing with here today. Some churches make the Lord weep. Some churches make the Lord angry. Others make the Lord blessed. Others make him sick. I tell you, when you come to Hillcrest, I want you to go out one of two ways. I want you to go out of here glad or mad. I do not want you to go halfway in the middle. Well, I don't know about that. I don't want any apathy. I either want you glad or mad. Because God is sick of status quo. When they asked the old preacher what status quo was, he said, I think it's Latin for the mess we in. And I believe that's what's true today. 
So here's what they do. They just yawn at spiritual things. G. Campbell Morgan said something I read years ago, and he said this. He said, I know the Bible. I believe in Jesus. He's talking about these people here. They know the Bible. They believe in Jesus, but Jesus don't move me, and Jesus don't stir me. G. Campbell Morgan said that is the worst kind of blasphemy we could have. For to know Jesus, for to know that Jesus loves us, to have a precious book, to get a blessed church, and to say, I know I've got all of that, but that don't stir me, and that don't move me, and that don't excite me. That's blasphemy. Mm, that's what he said. So when you say you don't have need of anything, then what you're basically saying is, I don't need to repent of anything. Because I haven't sinned. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? I have sinned. Is that hard for you? Now, now it's not easy. It's not so hard to say it with your mouth. But it's hard to say it with your mouth connected to your heart. I have sinned. Say it with me. I have sinned. Did Anybody didn't say that, hold your hand up. I'm going to show you a verse. Don't hold your hand up, okay? Because the Bible said any man has sinned is a liar, and the truth's not in him. So if you cannot say to God, I have sinned, and by the way, I think that probably can stand for every day of your life. I have sinned. I went through the Bible looking at that, and I want you to notice the crowd who said that. Pharaoh said it twice, but when he said it twice, it did not soften him. It hardened him, and he had committed and stepped over a line to which he would go to hell. Pharaoh said, I have sinned, but he never did anything about it. Moses said when he came down off the mountain and here they were worshiping around a golden calf in all kind of vulgar ways. He said to them, you have sinned a great sin. Even the congregation in Leviticus chapter 4 and 5, all through chapter 4 and 5, the congregation is saying to God, they're in trouble. We have sinned, we have sinned, we have sinned. And then Aaron said it in Numbers chapter 11, he said, we've sinned, I've sinned. The people, after being bit by fiery serpents, they said in Numbers 21 and 7, we have sinned. Moses said it about the people who built the golden calf himself. Deuteronomy 9, 16, he said, they have sinned. Joshua said it about Israel when it was a, a, a one man in his family was the only one who had the sinful problem. Joshua 7, verse number 11. And then that man that had the problem, whose name was Achan, even he said, I had sinned. And then Saul said it in 1 Samuel 15, 24. In fact, Saul said it three times. Three times Saul said, I have sinned and turned right back around and done the same thing again. Mm, David said it when Nathan preached that scalding sermon to him about his adultery. And when the point was made clear to David's heart, this is what he said. David said, I have sinned. He said it again in 2 Samuel 24, 10. 
when he numbered the people and God told him not to do it. He said, I have sinned. Job said it about his children. He had 10 kids and he prayed about them every day. And he said, God, I'm praying that they won't sin against thee. David, I want you to turn to Psalm 41.4 because I, I, I just almost started weeping when I read this again this morning as I, as I began to think about this passage that is a psalm of David. If that is right, if the, if the translators gets it right, and this really is a psalm of David, and I believe it is, and David gives it to the chief musician. David wrote it, but he gave it to the chief musician. And it, look what it says. Blessed is he that considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. He shall be blessed upon the earth, and thou will not deliver him into the will of his enemies. That's wonderful talk, isn't it? Look, the Lord will strengthen him upon the bed of languishing. Thou will make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. And you can read the rest of it sometime and it'll break your heart. David said, God, you've been good to me. You've taken care of me. you won every battle we've ever had to fight as long as we did what you said. God, you've been so wonderful to me, but I've sinned against you. Mm. David said it. And then Jeremiah said it about his nation in Jeremiah 14. Also in Jeremiah 40, Daniel said it in Daniel chapter 9, verse 5. He said it about his own nation. Matthew 27, 4, Judas said it. You know what happened to him. One of the great things, one of the great times that it was said was in Luke chapter 15 when the prodigal son said, I will go to my dad and I will tell him I have sinned. And you know what he did? He went to his dad and fell on his knees and said, Daddy, I'm going to tell you what I said I'd tell you. I have sinned. Hmm. Paul said it, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that passage that I told you, I didn't want you to raise your hand, I'd scare you on, is in 1 John, back just right where, where we start, close to where we started. In the book of 1 John, chapter number one, I want you to notice some things here, what he says. Verse number seven, he said, if we walk, in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Did you hear he didn't say fellowship with him? He said fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. In other words, if the church is walking together like the church ought to be walking together, they're walking with Jesus. And when they're walking with Jesus, every time a sin pops up in one of his life, immediately we say, God, forgive me and cleanse me. And the Bible says that he has shed enough blood that, that we, we don't have to deceive ourselves about that. We don't have to lie to, to the church and say, I've never sinned. I'm doing good. I'm the best person you've got. He said, if you just confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us I've been wasting my breath preaching to you if you say you haven't sinned your word is not in us he said so we go on and I want you to look at the consequences of all that do it real quick was the consequences of Pharaoh good? 
Not so good, was it? Especially with them lice and them frogs jumping all over him while he's trying to sleep. And eventually he wound up buried into the muddy Red Sea. The golden calf, was that a good thing? No, 3,000 died that day that didn't have to die, but somebody had sinned. Achan, we already know that was a horrible thing. We talked about it the other night. But you know what was so horrible about it? It had consequences. When we say we haven't sinned, it is consequences that comes with that. When we say we have sinned, there's confession that goes with that. But when we say I have sinned, but we don't intend to do anything about it, 36 people died in the battle plus his family. Saul, three times he said, I have sinned, but he never meant it one time. As a result, he committed suicide and died in a battle which he never had, would have died in if he'd repented before God. Jeremiah says it. Judas said it. Jeremiah said it about the nation, and it wound up in 70 years captivity. Y'all listening to me? Judas said it, and Judas went out and hung himself. That's how miserable it made him. Now, everyone who said it and refused to change had horrible consequences. Y'all got that? Everyone who said it and refused to change had horrible consequences. Now, let's look at number number three. We see there the crowd. Now, we saw, saw the consequences. Now, I want you to look at the confession and the cleansing that I just read to you in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 10. You see, he also mentions it there. Look in verse number 10 in 1 John 1. If we say, if we say, y'all hearing me? If we say, now God's already said what we are. God's already pointed it out to us that we are. But if we say, that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And God is no liar. He cannot lie. He's a God of truth. And his word is not in us. Do you see what you could have had was in verse 9? When you understood you had sinned, I don't care how small it is. Maybe it was just a little puff of pride that lifted you up somewhere. Somebody bragged on you for just a minute, and it lifted you up, and you got a little proud, and you forgot. Had it not been for God, you couldn't have breathed a breath, and you just say, God, forgive me for that sin. You know what he'd do? He'll just wash it out. That's all you'd have to do. When you say, I have sinned, then God goes to work. If you mean it in your heart, God will cleanse it. And so that's the confession and the cleansing that we see here. But I want you to notice what else that they said. They said that they had need of nothing. Are y'all seeing that? They had need of nothing. Now that meant that they was a, as you read this text, you know there was a compromising elitist bunch because they think they've got everything. They don't need anything. God, Jesus, you can just go into another church. You don't worry about us. We got everything. 
Go to that poor church back in Philadelphia. They probably need some stuff. Uh, they, 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 they hadn't gotten much. Go to them. But, but we don't need anything. Let me tell you something about not needing, as the scripture here says, nothing. Okay? When they just yawned with no urgency, no enthusiasm, no energy, no emotion, no intensity, no sense of urgency, the modern man don't know less. It, it, listen, it's not that we don't know less about the Bible. It's that the Bible bothers us less. Does that not scare you? It scares me. Many are called and few are chosen. One little girl said, many are called and few are frozen. Amen. More than a few, in my opinion. But I want you to notice, I want you to notice, when you say you have need of nothing, I want to tell you what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. We don't need Jesus to do nothing. Listen, 1 Corinthians 4, 4, I know nothing by myself. We don't need Jesus to know nothing. Let me tell you something else. Psalm 49, 17. When he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. We don't need Jesus to leave everything here when we die. Listen to Proverbs 20, verse 4. Sluggard shall beg in harvest and have nothing. We don't need Jesus to have nothing in the harvest when we're lazy. Listen to Jeremiah 13, 4. We are profitable for nothing. In other words, we don't need Jesus for anything to be good for nothing. I like that. Sounded good, didn't it? We don't. If you're good for nothing, you don't need Jesus. They said we don't need anything. That just meant that's good for nothing. Everything we, everything we do, we need Jesus. Jesus don't stop there. Matthew 5.13 says that if we don't think we need anything, we'll soon lose our savor and we'll be good for nothing. And then Luke 5, 5 says, they fished all night and have taken nothing. You don't need Jesus to fish all night and catch nothing. You need Jesus to fish a little while and catch a lot. You know, with me? Luke 11 6, when the old boy come, had guests come to his house and he said, I have nothing to set before him. He's talking in prayer about prayer. And you don't need Jesus to have nothing to set before anybody. And if you're not praying, you won't have anything. John 3, 27 says, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Paul says this way, the flesh profiteth nothing. That's why I have never went in for this social junk. I don't go in for it. I don't join the, uh, all the clubs that's out there. I don't join any of those. I, way back before I got, right after I got saved, I got in one. I said I'd never be in another one. I don't join the clubs. And, I, and, and I'm not going to go to this, this bunch of fellowship of Episcopalians and, 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 and uh, Catholics and Lutherans and all that crowd. Listen, I want to be with my crowd. Because... Without Jesus can we receive nothing, receive nothing. But with Jesus, nothing shall be impossible. Y'all didn't get that, did you? With Jesus, nothing shall be impossible. May we be anointed today to understand that we do 
need something. I think we are a lot like the lady who said to her husband, so what you doing today? He said, nothing. She said, you did that yesterday. He said, I didn't get finished. <laughs> Some of us ain't done right, right? We ain't done right. Now let's go. Let's go. Look at, look, look at the conviction of counsel. Thou knowest not. You just don't know anything. You know not. What you say, you need nothing. What you're really saying is you have everything, you need nothing, and so God is going to convict them because of what they said. It can't be me, that's what they're saying, can't be us, can't be our church. I attend Christmas, I attend Easter, and I come when I can. I celebrate Groundhog Day. My daddy was a deacon, and my grandmother was a tobacco-chewing preacher. I'm all right. Remember Malachi chapter 3, verse number 7? When God talked to them about giving, he says, what? What? And it says there, they said. They said opposite to what God said. So I want you to hear. Look at the third thing. Look at the conviction of the fourth thing, the conviction of the congregation. Jesus said, now you say you have need nothing. You've contradicted already my statement. You've contradicted already what I've said about you. You've contradicted the condition you're really in. But you don't have need of nothing. And Jesus said, but I look at you and here's what I say. You're wretched. You know what that word wretched means? It means a miserable pile of mess. Remember what Paul said about his flesh? Oh, wretched man that I am. That's what he said. And then he said, you're miserable. You know, folks can get up and leave and walk out. and they're still they're miserable. Hey, you take your problem with you. Getting mad about something that God wants you to say you sinned about. Don't fix your problem. You walk right out with it or run right out with it or go mad right out with it. So... He said, I think you're wretched, you're a miserable mess, you're miserable inside, you're a crackpot pile of emotional misery. You're poor, you think you're rich, but you're poor. You've laid nothing up in heaven, you've laid it all down here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the Bible says. Then he says they're blind. You see, what, what happened to them? They'd gotten over getting saved. You ever gotten over getting saved? That means what happens when God says you're blind, if you're a Christian, and if you really are a Christian, that means you can't see very far. That means the future don't bother you when you know it's a lost people that lives beside you that's going to die and go to hell. When you see our younger generation following the mess that they're being taught all over the place, you ought to be burdened about that. But you know why you're not burdened? You can't see it. You're blind. Because you say, I have sinned, but you did nothing about it. And so the blinders are still there. Can't see. Can't see. Did you know if you was blind in the Old Testament, you couldn't worship? Woo! Got quiet then, didn't it? I ain't going to hit you. I don't want you all broke up. You all thank God that you get the very privilege to come and worship in the house of God. If you were blind in the Old Testament, you couldn't come near the place of worship. 
They would not allow it. You couldn't. Blind Bartimaeus sitting at the end of the Jericho when Jesus passed through. And as far as we know, that's the only time he did pass through. And the Bible says there was two blind men. And so obviously one of them didn't get saved and the other did. If you read all four Gospels, you'll find it that way. And the Bible says that as Jesus was going by, oh, blind Bartimaeus, he must have heard just something overhearing people talking. And he cries out. They say, shut up, Bartimaeus. Shut up, Bartimaeus. You can't worship him. You can't get close to him. He's the master. And finally he said, have mercy on me. And when he said that, Jesus stopped and he fixed him good and he fixed him right. Y'all understand me? If you're blind, you can't see much. You don't even see your own sin is too bad. You're blind. And the blinder you stay, the easier it is to carry that sin. So the blind, he said, that's what you are. But then he goes on and says, you're naked. Woo. I ain't going there. I could. I could preach a whole sermon on that itself. But what he's really saying is, you ought to be clothed with holy garments. But instead, it's like a spiritual nudist camp in your church. Y'all see that commercial about them two old women that goes to CVS drugstore? Y'all seen that? Clinton, you've been watching. I know, yeah. Okay. Hey. <laughs> listen, you got a new one. You better be careful here. <laughs> but these two old women, they go to the drugstore, man, they buy about every kind of suntan lotion you can find. They buy all that suntan, all the sun stuff they're going to need for the day, and they pile it all in a pile, put it in the bug, got the straw hats on, walk out on the beach and take their towels and sling them everywhere. That was at a, and then a little sign said, nudist camp. And so they was going to have that day. You know what? I believe there's a lot of church members, when they walk through the doors of the Lord Jesus' church, just fling off their towel, and God sees them as spiritually naked. Mm. So you're going to have to confess that means to agree with God. Now, here's, the, here's, how, here's how you call in a prescription. You remember when you used to be able to call in prescriptions? And now you still can as long as it, you know, as long as it's just about a half an aspirin, you still can call in. But look at the call in prescription. First of all, he says, buy me. Isaiah 55, 1 says, if you buy Jesus, it's free. You don't need money. <laughs> Ain't it good to buy something don't need money? I, one of our good men of the other day, I was pulling through uh, the drive-thrus of the fast food restaurant, and I was getting me a biscuit. And uh, all of a sudden, the lady comes to the window and said, your food's already been paid for. I thought, man, it's good to buy something and not pay for it. And I think I know who that guy is, and I did appreciate it, and I love him. I thank him for doing that. That's a blessing to me. But see, that's exactly what Jesus wants to do for you. Hey, just drive on through. Won't cost you anything. I've already paid the price. That's what he's saying. He said, you need, first of all, to let me give you purified riches. In other words, you need to invest your soul in gold. Secondly, you need a white raiment. You need the garment of salvation. Many 
obviously in that church is lost. The last day church is going to be filled with lost people. And you need a garment of salvation. You need a new dry cleaner because when you get a garment of salvation, everything else looks dingy when you put it beside the raiment, the white raiment of righteousness. Then thirdly, he said you're naked. That means you need a new tailor, a new clothier. Get your clothes on. I'm tired of sitting here watching you naked. Get your clothes on. And then let Jesus touch your eyes. He said, just let me touch your eyes. Hey, hear me. He just wants to touch your eyes. He, he said, let me anoint it. Let, let me smear on some eye salve. He said, mine's better than all those old products that they sell everywhere else. He said, let me just touch your eyes and just rub it on your eyes as you might see. Let Jesus touch you today. When's the last time you know that Jesus touched your eyes and you said, I have sinned, and you fell on your knees, or you sat in your car, or you walked out into the yard, and you said, Jesus, forgive me, I have sinned. Let me tell you what he says. He loves you, so that means you don't have to be afraid to go to Jesus. He loves you. Even if you're a compromiser, he loves you. Even if you're a backslider, he loves you. Even if you just think you're just a little bit of a sinner, he loves you. If you're addicted to drugs, he loves you. If you're a drunk, he loves you. If you're a crooked businessman, he loves you. If you're an adulterer, he loves you. He says it right there in the book of the Revelation. I love you. I love you. And as many as I love, I will rebuke. That's the second thing. First of all, you need to know he loves me, and I can go to him anytime. Number two, he rebuked me. In other words, he's brought it to my attention, and he's rebuked me. That means pretty strongly he has come against me and said, quit doing that or start doing that or something in your life that needs to be fixed. He rebukes you and you may have said a hundred times I have sinned but never dealt with it. And if you don't deal with it, the third thing he says, I will chasten you. That means I'll spank you. And then he says this. This is what blows me away. Be zealous. He didn't say, let me make you zealous. Mm. Now, this may not be too good at preaching, but that's a good word. He didn't say, let me make you zealous. The word zealous is fire, hot, warm, real warm. Let me make you warm up to God. How you let me? That means we have to allow it. And he says, if you will repent, if you'll say, I have sinned and repent, I'm standing right outside your door. Hear me? I'm standing right outside your door. All I want you to do is let me in. But you've shut me out. And it's not that you left Jesus in the cold. It's that you stayed in the cold and pushed Jesus, who's hot, 
He's a consuming fire. Mm. Don't deceive yourself, 1 Corinthians 1.8 says about your sin. There's some folks here today got some sin. You've been deceiving yourself about so long, it don't even bother you anymore. Somebody can ask you about it, and you say, I don't do that. That's not my life. No. Oh, well, are you saved? Oh, yeah, yeah, got saved. Got saved when I was a boy. Got saved when I was a teenager. And I got saved sometime. Yeah, you got saved, or you walked an aisle, and then you got baptized. You come four times and seen you since. You know some people like that. Maybe something like that today. You're deceiving yourself. And 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself because there's some bad consequences when you do. And he says, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. That's me. I can raise my hand. But you are washed and you are sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Don't deceive yourself that you're saved when you're not saved. Come on and give your heart to Christ, and he'll make you know you're saved. That's what we need today, just some old-fashioned repentance. And when you do, there will be a consciousness of his presence like you've never had. That's the last thing I'm done. He'll just come on in and sup with you. That means supper. For you young kids, that means the evening meal. Supper. Oh, it's supper time when you open the door to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to start it today myself. If there's going to be any corrective directive in this church, we've got to start here. So I'll start it. I don't mean you've got to do it publicly. No, we'll have some people here to help you. But the Bible does say that you can confess yourself one to another that you might be healed. So you may have somebody you want to confess something to. You may just want to confess it to God, and that's it. Leave it alone. But we have folks to help you if you need it. But I'm going to start it. I'll have to confess that I have a temper that's already lit like a stick of dynamite. And all you have to do is push it just a little bit and I fire off. And I've been too harsh and too mean in some meetings and I confess it. Not what I said. I won't take back anything I've ever said because I've always said what was true. But the way I've said it many times has been wrong. Even to some of you. So I confess it. I've sinned. It's the hardest thing in the world for me not to get ticked off. I'm just not built to, to stop doing that. I'm just not built that way. The only way I can do it is with the Holy Ghost. I'm twisted so tight. If you ever let go, I just go boom. I've been too harsh. I also sometimes lose my focus because of fleshly trouble. 
That's called unbelief. And so I'll say to God, I have sinned. Because there's been some times I've wondered, why don't you do something? That sudden belief, and I confess it, I've sinned. I've tried, and I'm doing. I'm not, I didn't get up off my knees and say, I'm going to go back tomorrow and not believe you again. I'm really trying to trust God. Everything. Everything. Also should pray more and worry less when our church gets sick. But I get sick when our church gets sick. Instead of letting God take care of it, I figure I'm the man to do it. And I usually break more than I fix So I've sinned. I'm starting it.